Today, we're talking about an area that seems to me to have huge potential in improving human health and is also an interesting mix of the biological and computational sciences. And this is wearables. Welcome back to the Bioinformatics and Beyond podcast. I'm Leo Elworth, and I'm joined by an amazing pair of guests for discussing this topic and trying to find out things like how might wearables have a significant impact on human health? What can they do now and might they do in the future? How do you do the data analysis and collect the data and more? My guests today are Dr. Zahi Fayad and Dr. Robert Hurton, both of whom are from the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Dr. Fayad serves as professor of radiology and medicine and cardiology and is the founding director of the Biomedical Engineering and Imaging Institute. Dr. Hurton is an assistant professor of medicine and a gastroenterologist at the Susan and Leonard Feinstein Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center. Thank you both very much for joining today. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Leo. Sure. So why don't we start with some basics? Can you comment on what all different wearables are out there and what are all the different health monitoring features they have and that maybe are soon to come? Yeah, maybe I'll take this, Rob, uh, and you can, you can chime in. So obviously we are all aware of wearables uh, and they are now become part of our life. Uh, and they're almost all the big uh, companies as well as uh, emerging companies have had these devices now on the market. So obviously uh, Apple uh, is, is a big player as well as uh, Fitbit with Google uh, acquisition. Uh, but there are things such as more, more you know, there are others uh, such as one uh, recently offered by Amazon. There's the Garmin devices. There are things that are a little bit more specialized such as uh, Oura rings. So they have, you know, same sensors, but, uh, but set up as jewelry as well as ring and more specialized with, with no display on them, uh, such as the WHOOP uh, de device, W-H-O-O-P, that has been popularized a lot by athletes, uh, elite athletes, um, and, and now more and more uh, enthusiasts, like actually myself too. Um, so, so we cannot turn uh, today uh, our head without uh, knowing and seeing that somebody is really uh, somehow has these devices, either they're wearing them uh, 24 hours continuously, or they're wearing them um, most of the days, or they're wearing them during uh, some, some uh, exercise or, or, or any activity that they are, they are doing. Yeah, and of these wearables that we have currently and maybe in the future, and of the capabilities of what they're able to monitor, what would you say are the most exciting from like a scientific perspective or just from like a human health perspective? And can you go over like the sort of the different um, the variables that can be monitored? Yeah, so, so we started, you know, with the wearables, you know, initially the focus was the aspect of steps, right? How many steps, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're walking. So there is a, a very simple, um, all the devices can do this. And it got really exciting or, or a big buzz came about when, when Apple introduced um, their uh, heart rate monitoring and demonstrated in a, in a large uh, studies or several studies that it is extremely accurate and can even detect uh, arrhythmias at the, at the clinical level. This is where I, I think was, was an important inflection point in terms of the interest by the, by the medical community uh, on, in, in, in terms of uh, the, the utility uh, of these devices. 
Uh, Rob, you have had a much longer history, um, at least clinically or, or, or research-wise, with these devices. Would you add a little bit more on that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think, as I alluded to, it's really the addition of these, these metrics beyond just steps and what really kind of started as people were using as fitness trackers, exercise trackers to look at mileage or, or number of steps a day that have really added a lot of depth to what we're able to pick up and look at. And um, uh, as alluded to, really, we're able to now see, uh, look at heart rate, things like uh, sleep, heart rate variability, and some of the newer models that are coming out for commercial devices are able to give us oxygenation and even respiratory rate, exactly. which is really adding to, to the things we're able to, to evaluate in people. Yeah. Um, one of the most important things, though, I think, is it's not just which metrics also are, are available there, but it's the fact that we can do this either continually or nearly continually in people and longitudinally over time that really gives a lot of depth to what we're able to evaluate where you can start seeing very fine changes or small changes that are happening in these metrics in individuals over time that gives insight into you know something perhaps is going on in the body that needs to be evaluated further and exactly yeah and i mean our interest is to be able to utilize and find value in these wearables that are telling us things about the body that is not easily done when you go visit your doctor uh, or your, 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 uh, or, or when you're feeling bad. This aspect, as, as Rob said, of continuous monitoring and, and, re and unrevealing some of the signatures, some of the secrets that your body uh, is telling you, but now you have a way, a little bit of a window uh, to it. Yeah, and what you're describing to me is just absolutely perfect even just anecdotally on my end it's funny actually i got a fitbit probably i don't know five yeah. years or a long time ago like one of the first generation i think then yeah. didn't use them forever and i just yeah. got another one recently yeah. and i noticed exactly what you're talking about i was like kind of blown away by all the all the different features and what's being tracked and i saw things like yeah. that potentially maybe eventually these will be able to like do early warnings for heart attacks and things and mm -hmm. to me that's just like insanely exciting like wow and am, am i wrong to think that this could just be a complete game changer and just for instance like early warnings for heart attacks if if that could truly be done i feel like everybody would pretty much want one of these things yeah, yeah. i mean that's why as i mentioned that study that apple uh, put together that kind of really you know put these devices on the map and people started to seriously you know take them into consideration because of that aspect but we are at the beginning of this revolution. I mean, we are early stage. There's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot to be validated. But I do feel, what is it? They say the cat is out of the box. Is that correct? So Yeah, out of the I, bag, maybe. Out yeah. of the bag, yeah. Yeah, so I think this is it now. So so, so we are really looking forward to, uh, to, uh, to evaluating. You know, that's what we're doing, Rob and I, current technology, but also looking forward to the newest and, and, and latest technology. And maybe later on in the podcast, we'll talk that maybe in the future, there could be, you know, other type of bespoke type of electronics that you could order, you know, and, 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 and etch on your body easily and then, and then erase, right? What we call electronic tattoos. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say now's, now's, now's perfect. What, yeah. do you, what do you all think is, is coming from what we have now? Yeah, so Rob, Rob you, you, you look at this, uh, you know, very much in detail. So why don't you take that one and I will add after that. Yeah, yeah I think I think how we're, you know, the way we're sort of approaching these things is as we're, as you hit on the point that wearables are, are sort of the cat is out of the bag and we're starting to evaluate these in meaningful ways and improving health. 
Um, there's a few ways I think we're looking at it that's important is first saying which markers, which physiologic markers from these devices are important for which disease states and identifying which questions you might want to, to be able to answer. So, and this is something that um, our group and a number of groups are doing as we're, as we're looking at um, which markers might be most important to identify um, problems that are going on in the body in specific disease areas. Um, the other thing that um, that's also important then, as Zahi alluded to, is kind of novel devices that are coming up. So it's not just which markers might be important, but can we actually develop and create devices that will be suited for specific disease states or areas that we might want to try to make an impact on using these kind of technologies. Um, and I, I think those are two of the main areas that are, that are going on right now. And then of course, that next step from there is operationalizing this. How can we take this data and this information and then actually start using it in a meaningful way uh, as we manage patients and, and, and people in health systems yeah. and, and in healthcare? I mean, we do have a certain limitation now. I mean, these devices you know, are really meant initially for general consumptions, right? So in a way they are, you know, they are being put together and controlled. I'm not saying bad thing here, but, but you know, uh, by, 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 the, by, by, you know, following a certain direction and a vision uh, for the company. Uh, I really think in the future, they, they, there is a market uh, for um, e easily scaling things up where you have it bespoke. Uh, Rob, you know, can, will call a company X uh, and says, I'm interested, I have a study ongoing right now, I have a patient population right now that I'm following in my clinic, and I'm interested in these 10 variables. I'd like you to design for me uh, and to ship to me a box or boxes of these electronic tattoos that I'm going to etch uh, on my patients, uh, collect the data and either continuing with it or, and then, or, 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 or finish with it. So, so we, we will see, I will say, you know, the, the merger of tailoring uh, the devices and the measurement that they take with the uh, capabilities uh, that, uh, that are coming in, you know, very soon. So we won't have to rely and be boxed in uh, to what is what's available for the general customer, uh, consumer. I hope I made myself clear on this one. Yeah. 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 Which variables that are monitored currently or capable of being monitored, do you think are the most exciting and, and impactful for like general health? And it's funny because even when I was shopping, you know, now there's, it's getting to the point where I feel like there are so many that you mm -hmm. look and it's like, which is that even like, does that do something for me that this particular thing is being monitored or? Yeah, that's true. You're right. But, but we know there are certain things in general, you know, heart rate, right? Rest in heart rate or, or heart rate, you know, detecting arrhythmias, right? So irregular heartbeat. That's important, you know, in many diseases, as you said also, Leo. Uh, monitoring uh, sleep, uh, that sleep is very important. You know, sleep has an effect, you know, depending how you sleep and how could, could give you a signal about diseases that you may get. And what Rob and I have focused on is this heart rate variability, which is a measure of your, you know, central nervous system uh, is also a very important variable. But, but there are other ones. I mean, we have a whole laundry list of things that Rob and I would like to collect in the future, uh, you know, related to, uh, to stress levels, you know, right, Rob, related to temperatures, uh, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And, but, and Leo, you, like, you, hit, you hit a very good point there with, with what things are important for general health. And you, you're right, a lot of these devices give people a lot of information too. Yeah. And you can look on your phone and you, you can see all these things. And we have to start, we, that, this is exactly a question that we've been asking is which ones are 
important, which ones are important for certain diseases and conditions. If we start at one, starting to make you know significant impacts beyond just monitoring your say your your sleep hours per day or yep. your number of steps. So you know, kind of taking it to that next level, we we do need more much more data to sort of say what's what's the most important thing here. Right. I mean, when I exercise, I myself use maybe three to four devices uh, because I'm not happy with one platform. I'm not an elite athlete, but I just like to measure things. Uh, wow. Wow. So, 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 so but, but I, hopefully in the future, you know, we will, we will understand better what's useful or not. And we will have, you know, you know, a way to integrate that in information with these different, uh, we maybe with a single device. Uh, so I hope so. Okay, well now I'm now I'm just curious. What all do you what all do you put on you when you exercise? So so I wear I wear the the Warrior watch, right? I wear the Apple Watch, uh, you know, as as my main watch, and I sleep even with it. I also wear the Whoop device, which is that device I mentioned to you that's used by athlete that does not have a uh, it measure, you know, has a sensor but does not have a display, so it's not a watch. It's really is a is a wearable for for as a sensor, and I also wear the. Um, I wear a, a when I just want to exercise. I wear a, the ECG strap so on the chest that I hook up basically to the Garmin. Uh, it's a Garmin device, so I have the Garmin uh, device uh, on that. So I'm looking now at at three different platforms. And then in the past, I was wearing the Oura Ring. Uh, I'm kind of on and off with the Oura Ring. Uh, it bothers me a little bit when I exercise, but but it also has some interesting things that the others don't do. So, so I'm, I, am I happy with this? Not really, because I, I, do, I do prefer in the future to have a single platform of, of looking at the data and measuring, measuring the data and looking at the data, which today it, 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 we, we cannot do this. Okay, and I'm, I'm gonna ask actually just one quick kind of selfish question here before we can wrap up with talking about like data analysis. Yeah. When you, for exercise, is yeah. there like anything particular you're kind of trying to optimize out of all the variables and things when you're exercising that you're using these for? Yeah, so the, it's, 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 it's very simple. It's a motivational aspect for me. So I'm competing against myself and by measuring things, I am helping myself be motivated and, and see in these, you know, it's kind of like the satisfaction to you. I mean, I, 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 I train alone. Uh, so that helps me in a way stay motivated uh, and, and keep up, you know, with competing with myself on a daily basis. I'm not an elite athlete. So for me, the recovery aspect, you know, of course, sometimes I see and it tells me, hey, I may have pushed myself a little bit more. You know, do I, do I change my training program the next day? Eh, maybe once a week, I maybe, you know, take it a little bit, you know, step back. But I'm not, you know, at the level of, of these elite athletes, which means that I'm competing the next day. Therefore, I need to be my performance has to be at that level. It's a very important motivational aspect. Uh, and I hope in the future, I'm able to share this with my doctor and maybe, you know, they can help me, you know, if, if I'm getting sick or not too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, moving uh, finally to just analyzing the data that comes off these and the scientific components of, of wearables. It, in my head, the main pieces for actually doing science with these would be like, number one, maybe understanding just the what type of data comes off of these things. And number two, how you would pick like a model to analyze that, like machine learning models, let's say, or, or otherwise. 
and maybe lastly how you would then actually do a study on that like how you get the participants and get the true outcomes like if people had heart attacks or whatever so maybe we can try to just get through these three and maybe first to start do those sound like kind of the key areas for doing science with wearables yeah and it, you know i think some of some of what you're hitting on is sort of what metrics you're getting from the devices and then how can this be analyzed? And, and what that ultimately comes down to is sometimes what your question you're trying to ask. So depending on which device you get or use, you might have different frequencies with which you're provided the metrics that it's generating. So if you're using a consumer grade device, you might not get the data continually. You might get it every five minutes, every few hours. Um, and it might vary based upon the metric you're looking at. So when we're trying to design these studies and use wearables, if we want to use a consumer grade wearable device, we have to factor that in to say what's important and then what frequency of, of obtaining that data becomes important. So, so that becomes kind of key in, in the first stage of, of using this, doing these in, uh, using these in studies. And then if we're going to use a custom device, so this is not consumer grade, this is sort of a research grade device, then that becomes a little more secondary where you can pick, pick the device that has the metrics that are most important that you want to look at and then have the people wear them because you'll know you'll get them at the frequency you're, you're kind of desiring to obtain it at. I see. So what kind of data comes off of these devices? It's just going to be like a really long continuous stream, like you said, maybe at regular or maybe less frequent intervals and just data points for each of the variables that it monitors? Well, let me, let me start before Rob gives you the detail, but this is a pretty big area of frustration to us. That's why I mentioned that we feel, you know, you know, going beyond what these custom consumer devices have, they, they limit it. I mean, since the box is a little bit closed and we wish the box is a little bit is more open. Uh, so we, we could take advantage of the continuous aspect of data collection. But we're not there yet. But Rob, you could explain, you know, what, what we can and we cannot do so far. Yeah. Yeah, it really, again, it depends on uh, yeah, the device. And as Zahi mentioned, we're really limited sometimes. So if you pick a consumer device, you're sort of um, stuck with what, what it provides and how in the frequency. So we've used recently in our Warrior Watch study, we decided to use the Apple Watch. And this was our study that looked at COVID, uh, seeing if we can identify and predict COVID infections. We use the Apple Watch as an example in that, focusing on a metric that we were particularly interested in called heart rate variability, which is these small time differences in heartbeat that you can calculate that gives you insight into nervous system function. And we picked the Apple Watch for a number of different reasons. One of them is that people like wearing them for long periods of time. And that in that study that we were doing, this was particularly important. We wanted a device someone would wear for, for months and be happy wearing for months. A trade-off in this situation is that the heart rate variability readings are given intermittently throughout the day. So you'll get a, a certain number of time points in the day. It's not continuous by any means. But um, these are sort of trade-offs that you have as you're designing these studies and coming up with them. And then we, we, we model and choose statistical modeling that then can reflect the type of data and the frequency of the data that we're getting to, to be able to analyze it. Yeah, and so we'll, we'll dig into that study soon. But before then, any thoughts on like the high level of how you go about kind of picking a model of how you want to analyze the data, like again, a machine learning model or, or statistical model or, or whatever? It, it can depend on the question that you're trying to answer. So if, if the question is perhaps binary, so is something happening or not, it, it might not require machine learning. That is something that we try to do. And if you have a large enough data set, so if you have enough patients, enough people that are in your study and enough data, that's certainly you know, something that we, we try to do. 
Um, some of the data that you get from these devices, though, is um, circadian. So it follows just a, a diurnal pattern throughout the day. And then you can use different kind of modeling, as we've done in some of our studies, is cosiner modeling that sort of is like modeling a sine kind of a curve, a sinusoidal curve, to look for differences that are occurring over time when they follow that kind of path. So it depends on the data you're getting, what kind of patterns it follows, but also really the number of people that you're enrolling in your study to say, can you actually do machine learning, which I think is, is probably the, the best modeling to try to do with these large data sets when you're getting them. Yeah, perfect. Lastly, how about the actual study design aspect of it? I, I'm more of a computational person than I've been pretty much my whole life. And when you do that, it's usually pretty easy to do anything you want to do, but I'm always getting more and more of appreciation for how hard it must be to actually put these massive studies together and get everybody to wear the watches and get everybody to report on symptoms or, or, or whatever. Thoughts? Thoughts on how you go about that process? Yeah, this this is for, for digital studies, this is this is key. So getting getting people to want to do the study is one thing. That's always when you're doing clinical research, it's getting people interested is always important. But then keeping people interested over months is really important. So you want to design a study that you feel people first want to do because it's important. It's an important question that they're interested in that affects their health and other people's health. But then you want to physically design the study in a way that people will want to continue to do it. And if you overburden people with having to do things with devices they not, might not want to do, with frequencies they might not want to use it, or with questions that just become onerous and so time consuming that people don't want to continue to do it over time, right. you start finding that people will drop out and say, this, this is just too much, too much work, and I'm not interested in it. So it becomes key to pick a device and something that people would want to wear and use for long periods of time, and then design your questions, what you're trying to ask in such a way that you're getting the very key information that you need, everything that you absolutely need, but nothing really beyond that. So you have a minimum data set that answers the question you're looking for, but actually doesn't burden your, your participants too much such that they want to keep participating and giving you this longitudinal data. Yeah. Sure. And I'm really wondering about too, when I got this Fitbit just recently, I think it asked me if I wanted to enroll in like a COVID study, if I remember right. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Most of these, um, there have been obviously several uh, COVID studies, you know, with different level of complexity and, and, and sophistication. And uh, almost all of them, uh, you know, have, have added to their app the, the, uh, the aspect of joining, uh, a, you know, a study, which I think is fascinating because it's a, it's a very, it's a great way to penetrate and to, to launch and, to imp uh, to launch and, and, and execute um, a study. Uh, so we love we love that idea ourselves also. Yeah. yeah, when you all did your study, I I think you had to actually you know do everything, get probably get people watches and make sure they're wearing yeah. them and ask them to wear them and everything. But mm -hmm. does it seem like in the future maybe this would be like person just hits yes or no in their so, app or whatever? Oh, this is a great question. Again, I go back to the point of bespoke, right? I mean, it's not only that we would like in the future you know, specialized bespoke type of wearables, but we also like to be able to, especially people who are doing, you know, research that advanced, is to be able to use and marry it to an app and, and, and customize the app according to your study. So that's what we did, you know, Rob and I, we were able to, we wanted to customize the questions uh, and deployment these self-reportable self questionnaires that match the study design that we have. 
So I'm, I'm looking for flexibility, for openness and, and doing things seamlessly uh, uh, like this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and finally, what about the outcomes? Like, for instance, let's say you wanted to do like a heart attack study. I mean, it'd probably be, I guess, a little easier to know if somebody for sure had a heart attack or not. But like in COVID, for instance, it might be harder to figure out if they actually got it or not. And just getting these outcomes accurately and getting people to report whatever the outcome you're looking for. Um, what about that? This gets to the point of, yeah, not overburdening with people with the questions. So you want to make sure when you're, you're trying to get these very important outcomes that you want to make sure you're capturing. So you want to make sure that, that people are going to be willing to give you that information if, if it, you're requiring a survey be performed to get it. So you don't want to overburden them with too many questions such that when you have these important ones that come up, they're just burned out from the study or not wanting to answer. Um, but also in, it's important when in health systems, for example, like where we're doing some of our studies in the Mount Sinai health system, you're able to kind of marry the information you're getting from the wearable device and the, the surveys that people are giving you with electronic health record data. So you're able to then, this is people are consenting for this as part of the study, but you're able to then draw from that information as well to complement what you're, you're collecting um, subjectively uh, to make sure you're sometimes not missing these important endpoints if they're, if they're objective, for example, like a, a heart attack or something else. Yeah, well, thank you so much for walking us through all that. That's going to wrap up for this episode more on the basics and high level of wearables, but we'll be back again to talk about their uh, really exciting COVID work that they've been doing. Um, so, but in the meantime, uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Fayad and Dr. Hurton. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I hope you found it interesting. If you did and you want more, come join us for a conversation on Reddit. You can let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, who you'd like to see next on the show. You can send in questions for future guests or just come chat about all things related to bioinformatics and of course, beyond. You can join the discussion at reddit.com slash r slash bioinfopod, or you can always just tweet at bioinfopod. Finally, you can always help out by subscribing to the show, giving it a rating, or just recommending it to a friend who you know is interested in these topics. Thanks again, and see you next time.